Morning. Morning to everybody online too. We always forget to talk about you guys, but as as uh, Greg likes to say, you guys are real people too. So we, we do want to include you. Thanks for joining us. So yeah, good morning. My name is Alex Pearson, one of the pastors here. And um, yeah, this morning we're going to go through our, continue on on our summer testimony series on the names of God. All right. So as you can see from the names we're going through, we've got Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Raha, Jehovah Shama, and then the one I constantly mispronounce, but I actually looked it up, Jehovah Said Kanu. So I got that. And if you look at my phonetic spelling here, it has nothing to do with how the internet tells you to say it. It's literally the words that I think it sounds like. So that's how I get through these things. Um, and then our name for this week, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider, or and another way to say it is Jehovah will see to it. So kind of interestingly, our name this week, it actually only occurs once in the entire Bible. And it comes up pretty much right at the beginning. Of course, um, Jaira is kind of of current fame due to the Maverick City song. Um, but we find it in Genesis chapter 22. So, you know, if you guys know your Bible, first book's Genesis, you literally go in like, 60 pages, you hit Jehovah Jireh. And this is the famous scene where Abraham is being asked by God to offer up his long-awaited son and heir as sacrifice. So in perfect faith, Abraham takes Isaac up to Mount Moriah. He's going to build an altar. And he's about to sacrifice him as a test of faith to God. So we're going to pick up in, in verse 12, and just in case any of you guys are worried, I do realize Liz has to talk still, so I, I, do, have, I, I do know. I wanted to pre, preamble, okay? So he said, do not reach out your hand against the boy, and do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh. And as is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So at Abraham's kind of ultimate moment of trial, the Lord provided not only the salvation for Isaac, but he also fulfilled Abraham's kind of current need of a sacrifice. You know, he's already built the altar and the Lord substitutes a ram. And kind of through that process, he foreshadows the provision that would come through Jesus over 2,000 years later. And that continues to this day. So I'm going to ask Liz to come up and share her testimony, um, but let's just open with a quick word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you that we can gather here today. We thank you that um, you give us your word that we can learn from, and we thank you also that you work in our lives, that we can hear the testimonies of others and, and learn from the experiences they've gone through and the experiences you've taken them through and just the mighty things that you're doing in their, in their lives. So Lord, we just pray you would bless Liz, just bless her lips, that she would just say your words, say your heart, 
um, as she tells her story. Amen. Good morning. I haven't been able to make it through as I was practicing it this week without crying, so I came very well prepared. Um, so first, I just want to say that I'm really grateful that we do these testimony series every summer. I love hearing everyone's stories, and I love being able to have an opportunity to share with you mine. So um, I think it's just such an amazing thing that we do as a church every year, and I'm always so excited to see what theme is happening and who's going to talk and everything. So um, yeah, so I just really hope that this speaks to, to all of you today. Um, what God's been doing in my life over the last few years, and while especially while I've been at Five Stones, actually covers a lot of the names of God that we're doing. As I was um, looking at this, it was like, oh, I mean, I could do a lot of these. Um, but I really felt like the last few months especially, God's really um, cemented himself as my provider. And I know everybody thinks providers, you know, people automatically think to money, right? Finances, um, making sure that, you know, you're, you're cared for and your family's taken care of. Um, but the way he's shown me in so many areas of my life that he cares for me has just been amazing. So I'm really excited to share. Um, to go really far back, I won't say how many years, um, growing up, we didn't have, especially when I was younger, we didn't have a lot in my family, but um, to me it always felt like enough. It wasn't very often that I felt like we didn't have something that I needed or um, looked to others and thought like, oh, I wish I had that thing. Um, and also I've uh, been really impressed upon by my dad who has this faith that's like, whatever, just pray for it. God's going to take care of you. Whatever you need, he's going to give it to you. And like, even now in the last couple of months, he's like, it's fine. We'll pray for it. It'll be fine. And then it's just like, it clicks. And yeah. So I always had that influence in my life, which was great. Um, when I was nine, my parents separated and later divorced. Um, and it really rocked my sense of stability. Suddenly I was anxious. I was afraid. And the uncertainty that was caused by that split led me to feeling like I needed to be completely self-sufficient. Um, if I could take care of myself, then not only would I be protected from relying on other people and then having them hurt me, but also I wouldn't be a burden to anybody and everyone in my family was struggling at that moment and I felt the need to just like take care of myself and then I won't be bothering anybody. Um, this led me to not even think of, thinking about relying on God for anything. Um, if I could do it myself, I wouldn't need to talk to God, and I wouldn't need anything. <clears throat> and my self-worth became really closely tied to my ability not to be a burden to anybody. But as we all know, when you try to do everything by, my, by yourself, it usually doesn't have a great outcome. I was anxious all the time. I struggled with depression, and I felt constant pressure to live up to an unrealistic standard that I had set for myself. Any crack or imperfection was weakness, but because we all have those, I always felt weak and like a failure. Um, I fought for control in areas of my life um, to try to maintain some sort of equilibrium, but it didn't work. And I burnt out from church pretty badly when I was 14. I did recover a couple years later and came back to God, but I was still pretty young and I hadn't really learned anything yet. So in my early 20s, when I was working for a church in um, Williams Lake in youth and worship ministries, it happened again. And this time I just walked away from God and from church because I felt like I couldn't live up to God's expectations. But of course, I'd created those and placed them on myself. 
And I thought I would just try to live my life the best I knew how and not struggle from all the pressure of trying to be perfect and trying to never make mistakes and never sin. Um, and what made all of this seemingly easier to manage was that despite my internal struggle on the outside to the world, I did great. Um, I hadn't gone to university, but I got a great job at a bank and I was really driven to succeed. So they kept promoting me. I earned good pay. I built my assets. I built a life for myself with adventures and good friends, and I proved to myself and the world that I didn't need anybody. But there was a loneliness in it, and even though I knew the whole time that God was waiting for me, there was so much fear of failure that I didn't want to open the door to him again. Nothing really felt certain, and again, I started struggling with depression and anxiety. <clears throat> when I came to Five Stones in 2013, it wasn't to find a church. I was here to um, see Alex get baptized, because he's an old friend, um, but it felt like an instant home. The first church where, as an adult, I really felt like I could be me and I could make my relationship with God my own, surrounded by people who would love me, encourage me, challenge me, you know, all the fun stuff. Um, I shared last summer, too, that I had a huge breakthrough um, when I first started coming here when Carmen prayed for me. Uh, and she encouraged me that God loved me no matter what. I didn't need to work for his love. He wasn't disappointed in me. He was actually proud of me. And it broke a huge part of my fear and anxiety around failure. And with God's help, I was even able to go off my anxiety medication and just continued to receive healing in the areas of anxiety and depression, which has just been amazing to watch and feel in my own life. But still, that need to be self-sufficient still reigned over any idea of leaning on God when it came to work and finances. I made good money, but I almost never gave to the church. I had convinced myself that since I was volunteering for everything all the time and spent hours here every week, I didn't really need to give because, you know, I was sort of tithing my time. So that's fine, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, it was okay. I kept getting promoted with the bank and I was doing really well. But about five or six years ago, my department got restructured and suddenly I was without a job. I had 30 days to find a new position within CIBC, or I could take a separate package and go somewhere else, which scared me because it was the unknown. And I completely panicked. I cried, and I cried to family and friends, and I didn't know what to do, and I asked their advice, and I was completely shocked, and I had no idea what I was going to do or where I was going to go, and I just felt adrift. But not once in that first week did I pray to God and go, God, what do you want me to do? Where should I go? Like, not once. I just panicked. Even in my panic, I was only without a job for two days. <laughs> I'd had a great relationship with my previous boss in an old department, and I called him and said, do you need anybody? And he said, I mean, sure, and created a position and brought me back in, and I was back at work within like a couple of days. Um, but I had left that department, and it was a huge thing for me because it felt like a hit to my pride. It was a demotion. I'd had to go back down in salary, and so it still felt like a bitter pill to swallow. But even through all of that, and still having the stability, and still having the seniority at the bank, and all of that, I didn't really spend a lot of time in prayer about it. I was kind of like, oh, you know, thanks God for opening that door, and then went on with my day. <laughs> Four months later, I was here. I was worshiping at a Monday night service that we used to have, and I felt God tap me on the shoulder and remind me about when I lost that position. And I just felt him say, do you remember how you lost your job, but you never talked to me? Do you remember how you found a job within two days and actually lost no stability whatsoever? Don't you see how you're once again in line for another promotion? Don't you trust me? Like, I love you. I have a plan for you. And I just felt so convicted 
to have such a point in my life, like it's a moment where I can look back on it and see what I should have done so clearly and how God still provided for me, like unbelievably. So I just felt really blessed and I just felt really convicted that I needed to take more things to God and spend more time in prayer and, and just really build that relationship because I realized I had been um, letting it slide. Um, it impacted my, my prayer life a lot. I started turning to him with things large and small, feeling peace I'd never felt before, which was great because I was always anxious. And I started feeling led to give to the church uh, financially, yeah, a little bit here and there. Um, of course, I'm a little stubborn, and that was one lesson that it took a little time to figure out. Um, but one huge thing that changed in losing my position with the bank was that it had made me think about what it would be like to not rely on the bank. Like, what would I want to do if I had actually left the bank? Um, and it opened up the idea that maybe a long-held dream of mine could come true. Maybe I could actually move into ministry and start working at the church. I'd always dreamt about it, but it never seemed like something that was in my career path. And, you know, when you're talking to people, like, the incredulous tone I get when it's like, oh, you left a well-paying, secure job in a massive corporation where you had seniority to move to a small church with just a few staff, and now your pay relies on other people giving money? Like, who would do that? And a friend of mine had said to me, Liz, that's not something you do in your 30s. That's something you do in your 20s. And I was like... And I think it's something you do when you feel like you're supposed to do it. <laughs> so it seemed really crazy, but after God had spoke to me and reminded me to trust him, I just felt this dream kind of re-arise in me. And in 2019, I came to work for Five Stones, which has been amazing. And it was a total answer to prayers that I had even forgot that I'd made when I was younger. Um, but God didn't forget. Hmm. <laughs> when I started working for the church... I still wasn't tithing or even really giving on a regular basis, but seeing how the church really ran and how little I was giving to the church, even though the church was giving so much to me, really had an effect on me. And in 2020, I started giving more regularly. I still wasn't perfect at it. Um, there was always some sort of reason to hold on, like, I'm just going to keep this. And like, if I need it, then great. And if I don't, then I'll give it to the church, because that makes sense. Um, but again, it was just that control kicking in, that instinct. But by the beginning of 2022, I felt really convicted to consistently tithe 10% of my gross income. And I worked it into my budget, and I've been doing it ever since. And it's the first time in my life that I'm giving because I love God. And I want to give him the first of everything. And not because I feel guilty or because I'm crossing my fingers that I'm going to give to him and then he's going to multiply and give it back. Like, it's not, you know, motivated by any of that. It's just because I love him. Um, and the amazing thing is, even with all the arguments that I had to not give, I, it has not financially bent me at all. So I was like, oh, I could have been doing this the whole time, probably. <laughs> um, so all these areas were working out, but a big challenge was coming. I was living with two roommates, and on April 1st this year, one of my roommates moved out suddenly with no notice and without paying rent. It was the first of the month when she did it, the day that we should have been paying rent together, but it was also my payday when I should have been spending my tithe to the church. It was a long, stressful day trying to figure out what exactly was happening with the roommate, and I had to pay an extra $7.75 in rent, and where was that going to come from? And my remaining roommate and I were trying to figure out how to handle everything, so there was a lot happening. 
It was also the weekend of the conference with Clem Ferris on how to steward your prophetic word. And I remember dealing with all the emotions of the surprise and hurt and everything that had happened. Plus the realization that I was now moving out of my home, having lost a roommate, and then feeling frustrated because I'd been looking so forward to the conference and now I was just distracted and emotional. Additionally, the previous nine months of my living situation had not been pleasant. And the experience, the whole nine months had really triggered my anxiety again. And so this whole situation in April just pushed me over the edge. That Friday, my pulse was racing. I was breathing, he breathing heavily all the time and just feeling on the edge of a panic attack for most of the day, which was exhausting physically, mentally, and emotionally. But I had learned something, and I'd been praying all day. <laughs> just as the conference was starting and I was feeling exhausted and frustrated, I realized that I didn't have to miss anything from the conference. I decided I wasn't going to let the things going on in my week keep me from hearing what God wanted to show me. On the Saturday, the next day, I'd paid the extra rent that was needed and realized I hadn't sent my tithe and I had a moment, maybe 30 seconds, where I thought, what if something else happens? I'll just hold on to it and I'll pay it next week and everything will be fine. And then I just laughed at myself, shook my head and sent the money. Like, no, this, we're not going backwards. I can't. Um, I just knew that if I needed something, I could count on God to provide for me. So I didn't need to worry. I got through that weekend. I had an amazing time learning from Clem. It was such a powerful weekend. And then on Monday, I was sharing with a friend what had happened and the friend was lamenting with me. And then they reached into their wallet and handed me a bundle of $100 bills, a thousand bucks. It was totally out of nowhere. Someone had just given it to them and they were like, I don't need it, here you go. Um, <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, it was, they just wanted to bless me with it after everything that had happened. And I couldn't believe it. And my old self, the part that never accepted help from anyone, because that would mean I was weak, barely spoke up in my mind. And I just felt so blessed. And the friend knew it was more rent than I'd needed to cover, but just wanted to bless me with it anyway. Um, and then that evening, the roommate who had moved out showed up at the house and paid me back for the rent that I had paid. <laughs> It felt like this amazing outpouring of blessing. I had paid $775 in extra rent, but God had blessed me with almost $1,400 in one day. And what made it a true blessing is that the extra rent I'd paid was upsetting, but I'd had the money. So it's not like I was worried about where my food money was gonna come from or how I'm gonna pay for my car or anything like that. So it was just a huge, abundant blessing. Um, and then it kept coming. My remaining roommate and I started looking for a place for just the two of us, but we were having issues in the market, finding a space that would allow pets. Right now, it's a bit crazy out there. It was getting close to the end of April when we would have to move out, and we had no new, no new home. And that whole month, I was feeling anxious, but I was just in constant prayer. Anytime I felt my anxiety flare up, and God was so faithful and just gave me so much peace. Sadly, we still couldn't find a place, and I started looking for a storage locker for our things, and we started talking about where we would go. I was getting worried because large storage lockers are really hard to come by right now, and I didn't know where I would stay, and my anxiety would flare up again, and I'd have to pray and just put my faith in God continuously. It's a very good long-term lesson. But then suddenly, I found a storage locker that was the perfect size and was actually cheaper than a couple of the other ones I'd been looking at. Suddenly, my roommate's boyfriend offered his spare room to me for as long as I needed it, and my roommate's parents were okay with her staying with them for a while, so we had temporary homes to go to. On moving day, U-Haul messed up my truck reservation, and it's a major moving day because it was the first of the month, or the end of the month, and I prayed with my dad about it, and suddenly they found me a truck that hadn't been available an hour prior, um, and it all just fell into place. Plus, after nine months of a stressful living situation, 
I was worried about temporarily moving in with someone new, given the anxiety and upset that had come out of living with my previous roommate. But again, God orchestrated it, and it was such a blessing. I now count my roommate's boyfriend as one of my closest friends, and God gave me such peace and relaxation while I was there, and it was totally rejuvenating. We waited two months, but my roommate and I found a new home. We just moved into a basement suite two weeks ago with a great landlord and a great space for, an, and I wrote affordable, but I'm gonna put air quotes around it, affordable rent, because um, as affordable as it can be here. All in all, when I look back over my life, there are so many times when I see God's hand guiding me and providing for me, even providing things I didn't know I needed. But it's only been in the last few years that I've been able to really recognize it and to start giving up control in my life, knowing that God has put it all in hand or has it all in hand. I've always thought that in my head, but I was really never able to put it into action, or I guess in this case, inaction. To put faith in God with my job, my finances, my friendships, my family, my living situation, to allow him to work and to know that he will only give me good things, and to watch him give me those good things, just continues to remind me to stay in prayer, to stay in God's peace, and to follow him, and try not to lead, because my plan is nowhere as near good. Nowhere near as good as God's plan for me. Um, Kelly, if you want to come up. To finish off today, I just wanted to share a song. Um, Alex actually mentioned it already. Um, that became an anthem for me this spring, Jaira. I've worshipped with this song endlessly in my car, in my room, in my head. And it so perfectly encompasses how we can lean on God and know that he'll provide all we need. So we never need to worry and we can just lean into him. So I wanted to sing it and worship with you guys now. You're forever enough. Oh. 
Thank you, Liz. Amen. I'm done. All right. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. John and I talk about this all the time. Like, once someone shared this testimony, I mean, who even remembers what we say afterwards? So, but, well, if you guys ever heard a fire alarm, the only thing that clears a room faster is if I start singing. Uh, yeah, thank you, Liz, for that testimony and song. I mean, as a, I don't want to say I'm an old friend. I like to think I'm a longtime youthful friend. But um, yeah, having known Liz for, Jesus, probably 15, 16 years now, and having seen her do those rises and fall in her anxiety, it's, um, it's really special to see how she's, she's walked that out and how the Lord has worked in there. Um, Sorry, I got emotional. Liz, you took the tissues. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I mean, what a great story. I mean, it illustrates so clearly how God is always working in our lives, um, even when we're not really assisting in the process. But it also shows how much smoother things can go when we stop running and avoiding God and we let him speak into our lives. We are a people that desperately needs God. Everything about our faith centers on him. Our creation, our life, our intelligence, our individuality. We know and believe that he created all these things. And yet there's this little or, or big piece of us that holds back from trusting God completely with our lives. So how many of us like Liz... We struggle to give up control. We love God. We come to church. We like to worship. We like the prayer. We listen to the sermons. But we also like to have our nest egg. We also like to have our backup plans. And we fear being a burden or having to rely on him. It, it's funny how we believe that he has this power to save us on Calvary. He, he wipes our sins away. And he did it because he loves us that much, yet we doubt that he will provide, and so we try to do it for ourselves. Does anyone here ever walk around and doubt from one moment to the next that there's going to be oxygen when you take a breath? Do you ever hesitate to take a step because, well, what if gravity stops working and I just float away? The Bible doesn't explicitly promise either oxygen or gravity, and yet we take those for granted and we never question their reality. But God does promise to provide. In Psalms we read, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. Luke Consider the ravens, that they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he also not with him freely give us all things? And then finally in Matthew we read, Do not worry then, saying, What are we to eat? What are we to drink? What are we to wear for clothing? 
For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. So Old Testament, New Testament, Liz's Testament, you cannot open your Bible and not see God's promise of provision. And I love that line in Matthew, for the Father knows that you need all these things. He created us. He created the earth we live in. It does not surprise him that we need money, that we need shelter, and that we need companionship. And yet in these three topics, we are the worst for trying to do it on our own rather than leaning on his provision. It doesn't follow our faith. And to be honest, it doesn't even follow logic that we separate these things off. But yet in our imperfectness, God doesn't get frustrated He just loves, and he provides the things that we need. So why was that scene on Mount Moria so important that Abraham gives God a specific name? I mean, in general, that scene has more foreshadowing than a sermon series could break down. It's, it's crazy. Like, get a study Bible, look at it. The verses this long, the study notes are about like this. It's... There is just so much in there. But for our topic today, I want to just discuss a couple points. So the name of that mountain that Abraham builds the altar, Moriah, the mountain of the Lord. There's only one other time that we see that name. And that is the location that the temple will be built in Jerusalem. Now, tradition says it's the same location. But in either case, in this scene of provision for Abraham the word is symbolically connecting the provision of the ram for Abraham and the provision that he is going to provide Israel through the temple. And Israel, the namesake patriarch, he's still two generations away from being born. And he can't be born if Isaac is sacrificed. Now, the other more obvious foreshadow is that of Jesus, the sacrificial son that is provided to forgive our sins. What God could not and would not ask of any person, he was willing to provide for himself. He was willing to go above and beyond what was merely required and provide something so much more. This is like Liz's story of the rent. She thought God had answered her with $1,000 of cash, but then her roommate has an about face and pays her rent. So what could have been a fiscal deficit a hard time, God turned into a financial blessing. God always goes far and above in his provision. It would be enough if God extended to us just mercy. We don't deserve it, but he could literally just give us mercy. But he also gives us grace and he gives us blessing. How many times in the Bible do we see God give in excess when things are asked of him? Elisha and the widow The widow needs oil to pay off their debt. And God provides not only enough to pay off the debt, but enough for them to live on in the future. Five loaves and two fish fed 5,000, and we end up with 12 baskets left over. Seven loaves and a few fish feed 4,000 men, plus the women and the children, and there are seven baskets left over. God grants Israel freedom from Egypt, but he also sends them with the wealth of the nation. 
He repeats it a second time in Babylon in case we didn't catch it the first time. Job has his fortune restored twice as large. Now, were any of these necessary? Could God have just done the minimum? Yes. And it would have still been a miracle. But God cannot help it. He loves to be generous. He loves to lavish gifts on his people. Did God wait until Liz had everything in her life perfect before blessing her? Did he hold back to punish her until she did what he wanted? No. His plan was always in place. His will was sure. He was going to provide for her. But when she needed a reminder, he did that. And I love the lines in the song that Liz just sang. Oops, sorry, I, didn't, I missed a slide there. Sorry, guys. Um, it's more than you ask, think, or imagine. According to his power working in us, it's more than enough. I literally had this in my head all night, and I feel like I could have just spoke on this verse alone because there's so much to break down there. But it's more than we ask, think, and imagine but it is enough. Now, this is not a prosperity plan. God is not going to eliminate all our problems because we're being faithful, but he is going to be there in the midst of it, hurting as we are hurting and comforting us and guiding us. And while we often kind of mentally get stuck on what God still needs to provide in our lives, healing, finances, the stress we're dealing with, we also must not forget our salvation and those times that he's come through in the past. It's really easy to become complacent about the great gifts that we've already been given. And that is why we not only need to focus our prayers on the things that are needed in our lives, but worship him and remember the things he has already given. And this is the other side of provision, the contentment that we have in what we already have. If we are not content, can God provide enough to make us happy? Does he need to? It comes back not to his provision then, but to our own sinful nature of coveting, greed, and pride. You know, back at the very beginning of Liz's testimony, she mentioned that they didn't grow up with much, but it always felt like enough. It's only later that that desire for more, for control, came into being. And we were all once children, and our parents made all the decisions for us. They told us when to get up, what activities we should do, what meals we should have, and when to go to bed. Then as part of growing up, we take on more control of our lives and the unfortunate responsibility that goes with it. However, how many of us look back and wish we could go back there? to have our parents prepare our meals, make us take a nap, forcibly turn off our Netflix binge and make us go get a good night's rest so that we're not grumpy the next day. We forget the good things that we've experienced as we chase the new and we chase the more. And it's only when we stop or we look back that we can see the path to provision that the Lord has been putting in our lives. So if you asked Liz during her trials if the Lord was providing for her, I think she might have given that, you know, cliched verbal Christian, yes, of course he is. But I think her soul would have been screaming, no, 
I have just lost my job. I've lost my financial stability. Or no, my roommate just walked out on us and it's not fair that I have to pay their rent. But yet in looking back, we see that God's hand was never gone. There was no point where he stood back and said, okay, if you're going to be like that, you deal with this and I will come back when you're in a better mood which is AKA for God telling you to go have a nap. (laughs) No, he was there and he was providing support. He was providing comfort, peace, wisdom, discernment, and yes, even financial support. So in Genesis 12, go back to that story of Abraham. Abraham's actually promised three different times about what's, what's going to happen to his descendants. And in Genesis 12, we read that God promised Abraham, I'm breaking it down simply here, but land, fame, and blessing to the people. Then in Genesis 15 and 17, we see God repeat, but he strengthens his promise and he makes a conditional covenant with Abraham. And that's where God says, if you follow me, hence the conditional part, then I will be the God of your descendants and you will have this land. However, right after the sacrifice of the ram on Mount Moriah, and Abraham then names him Jireh, God swears on himself. Now, what does it mean if God swears by himself? It means it is binding, unalterable, unchanging, and eternal. Because these are the characteristics of God. So then, what does God swear to Abraham? I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Now, there's no direct mention of land or fame. God has focused on the blessing of Abraham's descendants. And of all the promises that he was given, I think this is the one that Abraham clung to the most. And this is why it was so hard for him to contemplate the sacrifice of Isaac. And maybe that's why he tried to help the situation by begetting Ishmael. I think Abraham could have given up his wealth in a heartbeat. But for Isaac, he had waited a hundred years. Yet he trusted God in his promises because God was enough. Abraham knew the promises, but more importantly, he knew God. And he knew God would provide. Not in how Abraham would have done it, but in his perfect way. Now, at that moment on Mount Moriah, I think Abraham prophetically understood that something more was happening in this scene than just a test of his faith. And why do I think this? Well, it's the tense of the name that he gave God. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. It's future tensed. Abraham names God after finding the ram. So if Abraham's only focused on the here and now, he probably would have named him God did provide or God provided my need. 
But instead, Abraham was prophetically naming the real sacrifice that was to come 2,000 years later. The one that was not a ram, but the lamb. Not the son of Abraham, but the son of God. But Abraham was not just naming a moment. He was naming a characteristic of God. His love, God's love, and God's generosity they become his provision to all creation. He cannot turn it off. It's just in him. It is who he is. He continually provides his salvation to all that seek. God continually provides his care and love for all of us, regardless of our religious standing. He provided our counselor, the Holy Spirit, so that we don't have to go and build an altar, but we can shift our thoughts and connect to him who loves us the most. So what is our takeaway today? What do I want to leave you with? God is providing in your life. It's more than you can ask, think, or imagine. And it's according to his power working in us. But we need to have a humble heart and seek contentment in what he already has for us. Because he is Jireh and he is enough. And we will be content in every circumstance because he is Jireh and you provide all that we are and need. So John asked me earlier, he's like, oh, are you ready? You know, you feel good? I'm like, yeah, I feel great. I'm really good. And then during worship, the Lord just kind of hit me with a bunch of stuff and I've been stressed now ever since. So... (laughs) The Lord was really laying on something during worship. And what I saw was all the churches that were worshiping were rising up like castles in the land. And the worship was lifting them up, making them strong. But what the Lord was saying is castles are defensive. And we're in a season right now where the church is on the defensive. But the time is coming where the Lord's going to go into the land And from those castles, it's us that are going to go into the land. And we're going to leave the judgment behind and we're going to go out in love. Because it's love that, you know, if you understand one thing of God and you understand that he loves you, the rest of it can fall into place. But then he kind of pointed out to me something else is that sometimes it's really hard to leave castles because... Castles are where you gather all your resources, all your provisions. And when you go out or you go into the land, um, you have to have a supply chain. And it's, you know, they say the army marches on its stomach, and that's true. (laughs) So the Lord is leaving me with a couple things there. And one was, in that promise to Abraham, it's that your descendants will possess the gates of their enemies which means we have to go to the enemy, which means we can't stay behind our gates. We can't stay in our castles. And when we go forth, he just assured me the provision will be there. And what he pointed me to is that Israel had in the desert this miraculous provision. Manna fell every night. Water came from rocks. Their clothes never worn out. They lived in this miraculous piece of provision. 
But that all ended when they crossed the Jordan. So even though you had this miraculous moment, he, God didn't want them to be stuck in this moment of, of miracle. There were still others to come. And so what he said is that there's times when you have to leave the miracles of the desert, the provision of the desert, and walk into the land. If Israel had been happy with what they had, they would never have gone into the promised land and gone forward. So the provision was there, but God was asking for a new step of faith. And yeah, so the Lord just left me with that um, this morning. So Lord, we just thank you this morning as we come. We thank you for Liz. Thank you for just her testimony. We just thank you for just the things that you are doing in her life. And Lord, we just thank you that her testimony is an example of the things that you're doing in all of our lives, Lord. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand it, Lord, your provision is there, Lord, and it's so generous. So, Lord, we just ask that you would just convict us of where we have not said thank you for your provision, Lord. That you would convict us of the things that we have taken for granted, Lord. But also that you would lay on our hearts the things that you want to still give, Lord. The things that you still want to do in our ministries. The things that you still want to do in our lives, Lord. So that we can pray and seek and walk into them. Lord. And Lord, we just, um, yeah, Lord, we just come to you this morning and we just ask that you would show us how to leave the comfort of our castle and go into the land, Lord. How to go to those people that are, that are needing your help, that are needing your love, that are needing your light, Lord, to shine into their darkness. And Lord, just that you would show us how to do that as you did it, Lord, in love and in grace and in mercy, Lord, just that um, where the church has hurt people in the past, Lord, you would just show us how to go, on there, go out there and heal that hurt, Lord, and how to apologize for what the church has done, but show them how good you are and that you have never hurt them, Lord, that you have only ever upheld them. Just show them that love that you have for them. Pray this in your name. Amen. First Samuel 15, there's a story of Samuel and Saul, and Samuel is instructed to confront Saul about his obedience. And when Samuel confronts Saul about his obedience, he says, I have made sacrifices. And Samuel's response to him was saying that obedience is greater than sacrifice. Yeah. What is obedience? Obedience is about submission. It's about submitting to God's authority. That's what obedience is. It's not just about following the rules. It's about trusting that God's authority is over me. The fact that Abraham, in the story that Alex presented to us, was able to obey God and say, I am going to sacrifice my son, comes from that place of obedience. It comes from that place of complete submission unto God. And when we're in that place, God knows our heart and says, because of that, I will provide. In Liz's story, it was the same thing. It was the, it was the fact that I'm able to submit under the authority of God. Therefore, I will obey and God's provision poured out. Here's the thing, church. 
is that this aspect of Jehovah Jireh as a church, we actually get to live this out every single day. We actually get to experience this every single day and that this is available already to the church. That this is how God wants us to live every single day. Why? So that as we experience it, that the world could see just the power of God. Everything that we experience here as a church is so that the world could see who God is. And that as God provides that that provision gives us the generosity to give. That provision gives us the generosity to serve. That provision gives us the ability to go out and take lands that, that the enemy has already claimed. And that we could claim that land back for who, God, for, for who God created it to be. These are the things that the church is supposed to do. Every single thing that we're going to be talking about this summer is already something the church gets to experience. And it's a reminder for us as a church that we get to live in these glory days. We get to live in the glory days of God, that God's provision is here, God's peace is here, that He's our shepherd, that He is our healer, that He is, he is our Lord, He is our King, He's our He's sovereign. Man, church, we're so lucky. We're so lucky that we get to live in that place. But we get to live in that place so that the world can see who God is. We're not to, as Alex said in his prophetic, we're not to live in it in our own castles, in our own churches, in our own places, in our own homes. But we're to live in it in the world so that the world can see. Isn't that amazing? That's an amazing opportunity for us as a church, isn't it? That, the, that we testify so that we are a witness of who he is. That we are generous because we are a witness of who he is. That God gives you more, not just to prove that he is more, but he gives you more so that you could give more. And that you become generous because God is generous and that we take on that characteristic of generosity. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. You are God the Father, our provider, Jehovah Jireh. We claim that today. We know that you are the provider that provides beyond what we need. And that you will provide for us. And that you will continue to make yourself known. So, Lord, as Five Stones Church, we want to live in a place that gives you glory. So, Lord, may you continue to live these things through our lives every single day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.